0: Amen. Well, today I began a three-week series of Christmas sermons entitled, Who is Jesus? We're going to explore the identity of Jesus. And we're going to do that by looking at the genealogies of Jesus in Matthew and Luke. And I know you're probably saying, Man, I am pumped about that! We're going to get to spend three weeks in a list of names That's going to be great. Well, that's probably our reaction to the genealogy lists of the Bible. But consider this, if you will. We have two Christmas stories in the Bible. Gospel of Matthew, Gospel of Luke. Both of them include in their Christmas story a genealogy of Jesus. And Matthew begins his Gospel With the genealogy of Jesus. What did God begin the New Testament with? When God started to write the New Testament, inspired through Matthew, what did he first include? He begins with a genealogy of Jesus. So could we just maybe consider that God might know more than we do? And rather than just skipping over the genealogy so we can get to the shepherds or the wise men in the Christmas story, could we just for a second consider Maybe God's smarter than we are. Maybe God knows how to write the Bible better than we know how to edit out the parts we don't want to consider. So let's just give it a chance these next three weeks and see what God might be wanting to say to us this Christmas season through the genealogy of Jesus about his identity. Genealogy interest is on the rise in America. Did you know that? PBS has a television series entitled Genealogy Roadshow. Did you know that? It's gaining interest. Uh, You may have somebody in your family, maybe you're a genealogy buff, or you have somebody in your family that uh, has researched your family genealogy. I do, and my family have a distant relative, and so here is the Cox genealogy. I thought I'd read two or three hundred pages of this uh, to you this morning, and uh, you'd be excited. No, but next Sunday, I'm going to share with you what I think is a fascinating, unbelievable story from the pages of My Family Genealogy. If you have a story from your genealogy, I invite you to tell me or email me. Uh, I'd like to hear your story as well. Um, Genealogy interest in America began with the Mormons. Mormons are the ones who began genealogy in America because they believe in baptism for the dead. They believe that you can uh, be baptized on behalf of a dead person and that dead person would be saved. And so they want all of their family tree to be in heaven, all of their ancestors. And so they uh, research extensively genealogy. Ancestry.com, search, the two big websites about genealogy, are headquartered in Utah, both of them founded by Mormons for that very purpose. But genealogy research has spread, of course, to to other people, and today among millennials genealogy uh, is becoming uh, a a big trend. Uh, Millennials want to know a connection. They want to know a story. Is there a story? Does my life fit in anything, anywhere? And so the other thing that's fueled it among millennials is that now Uh, Ancestry.com and these others will tell you your DNA. They'll send you a little tube, you spit into it, send it back, and they will tell you uh, what your ethnic origin is. I thought about I would do that for this sermon series and share that with you the last week. Two reasons I didn't. Number one, it takes six to eight weeks, and I didn't plan hardly far enough ahead. The other reason, it costs $69, and I'm very cheap, and uh, so it's been 99 but they had a Black Friday special for 69 so if any of you have, uh, that's true, but if any of you have done that, that genealogy, yeah, that's right, $69 Black Friday special. I think it's expired now, December 1st, but if any of you have done your DNA, uh, share that with me. I'd like to share some of that in the, in the weeks ahead. Uh, now, so today we're going to look at the genealogy of uh, Jesus in Matthew's Gospel in a moment. Uh, why would... God inspired Matthew to start this way. Well, the theme of Matthew's gospel is that Jesus is the king and that his kingdom is at hand. Uh, Matthew is showing us that Jesus is the rightful ruler of the Jews and of your life. He's the king. Fifty-four times in his gospel he uses the word kingdom. It's Matthew who tells the story of the wise men who come and say, where is he who is born king of the Jews? Only Matthew tells us that. Matthew tells us that when Jesus rides a donkey into Jerusalem, he's fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah that is, see, your king comes to you, gentlemen, riding a donkey. When he's before Pilate, Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, yes, it is as you say. And Pilate puts a, a sign above Jesus' head when he's crucified that says, king of the Jews. And the Jewish leaders said, don't put king of the Jews, put he said he was the king of the Jews. And Pilate said, what I have written, I have written. Matthew is showing you the testimony that Jesus is the king of the Jews. That's who he is. But a king has to have a pedigree. Right? Not everybody can be a king. You probably will never be king of England, no matter how good a fit you might fit for that, right? Because you don't have the family lineage. It's probably going to be Charles or William or Harry or George who will be the next king of England because of the pedigree. But when Jesus came, and claimed to be the Messiah, some doubted it because of his background. Let me just show you before we look at Matthew's Gospel, get the background, a couple of places in the Gospel of John of what people were saying. In John chapter 7, beginning at verse 40, on hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. Others said, he's the Messiah. Still others asked, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not Scripture say the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Then the people were divided because of Jesus. In the next chapter, in John chapter 8, verse 48, it says that, the Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and demon-possessed? Samaritans were not a full-blooded Jews. They were a, a mixed race of people, and they were questioning who Jesus was, that he was a Samaritan. And so, when Matthew begins his gospel, when God begins to give us our charter document, the greatest document ever written in the New Testament, here's how he begins, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. This Is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So his name is Jesus, which means Jehovah saves, and he is the Christ or the Messiah. Now you may have thought that Jesus Christ was his first and last name. We sort of say it like that, Jesus Christ, but Jesus is his name, Christ is a title, uh, that means the anointed one. So your translation may say Messiah. The Old Testament is written in Hebrew. The Hebrew word for anointed one is Messiah. The New Testament written in Greek, the Greek word for anointed one is Christ. Messiah and Christ mean exactly the same thing. They mean the anointed one, the one God has anointed or crowned or chosen to be the king. And Matthew, the first thing he wants us to know about Jesus, we believe He's the Messiah, the Christ. Second thing he wants us to know about Jesus is he's the son of David. Now, son here means descendant. Not direct biological descendant, but somewhere in his line he's descended from David. Now, why is that important? Because it was through David that the king would come. Let me just read you one Old Testament prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government. And peace, there'll be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this and so Matthew says he is this one the son of David. Oh, do you ever do you ever pull your hair out about our government? Do you ever say, "God, why don't you do something about our government?" And you know what God says? I have. The government will be upon his shoulders and I have sent the one who will one day fulfill all your longings for government. With justice and righteousness he will reign. Jesus is the son of David. The next phrase in verse 1 says, "Son of Abraham." Why was that important? Because God began the salvation history through Abraham. Let me go back to Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3, when God called Abraham, I'll make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I'll make your name great, and you'll be a blessing, and I'll bless those who curse you, and whoever curses you, I'll curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God promised he would bless the world through a descendant of Abraham. And Matthew says, here it is. Here he is. Do you ever say, oh God, why don't you do something about our world? Our world is in a mess. God, why don't you do something about our world? You know what God says? God says, I have. I have sent the one who will bless the whole world, and his name is Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That's the first verse of the New Testament. And so, in verse 2, begins the genealogy. And so, Matthew begins with Abraham. So, if, if you don't know much about the Bible, if you're new to church and new to Christianity, let me give you just a quick overview of the Old Testament. Here we go. Chapters 1 through 11 of Genesis is about that we mess messed things up. God created everything good, and 1-11 through 11 of Genesis, or 3-11, through 11, is about sin. We have fouled things up. We are in a mess. We have broken this world. We need a Savior. So in Genesis 12 begins salvation history. Genesis 12 is the call of Abraham, and God says, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to help you. I love you, even though you've messed it up, and I'm going to send some help. And so it starts through Abraham, as we just read. And so here's the genealogy. Abraham, he said, I'm going to make you a great nation. Problem was, Abraham didn't have any kids. Well, that doesn't seem like that's going to work. And when he was 100 years old and his wife was 90, God, the miracle-working God, gave him a son, Isaac. Wow. So Abraham was the father of Isaac. And then Isaac married Rebekah. And uh, Rebekah got pregnant and was going to have twins. And the babies were jostling inside of her. And she said, what is going on? And God said to her, two nations are within you. And the elder will serve the younger. And so Esau and then Jacob were delivered from her. And sure enough, through Jacob, the sovereign promise of God, through Jacob, the younger one, became the lineage. Isaac, verse 2 says, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Judah. So Jacob had 12 kids, 12 sons, and they became the 12 tribes of Israel. So, who would be the lineage? Would it go through Reuben, the eldest? Would it go through Joseph, the most famous? Would it go through Benjamin, the favorite? No. In the sovereignty of God, it would go through Judah. So let me read to you right before Jacob died, how he blessed his sons in Genesis 49.10. He blessed each one of them, and here's his blessing for Judah. Listen to it this Christmas. The blessing that Jacob gave for Judah, the Genesis 49:10, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. You got Jesus prophesied even there, and Jesus has come to fulfill that, that one day the obedience of the nations will be His. He comes from Judah. And on and on it goes in verse three Judah, the father of Perez, and then Perez, and then Hezron, and Ram, the father of Amminadab in verse four, and Amminadab, Nashon, and Nashon, Salmon, Salmon, Boaz, and Boaz, Obed, and Jesse, the father of King David in verse six. And here begins the line of kings, because God said to David, They'll be one of your descendants on the throne forever. And so then we follow each of these are the royal line. Verse 6, David, the father of Solomon, Solomon of Rehoboam, Rehoboam of Abijah, Abijah Asa, good kings, some of them, bad kings, some of them. But in the grace of God, God can use good leaders and bad leaders to accomplish His sovereign purposes and He's carrying on the promise. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, Jehoram, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, verse 10, Hezekiah, Manasseh, Ammon, and verse 11. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile into Babylon. And now the line of kings is broken because of the sin of God's people. He kept warning them through the prophets. The prophets all fall in that list that I just gave you there. And they're warning those kings that God's gonna punish you if you don't turn back to Him. They don't. And He allows The line to be broken, and Jeconiah is taken into exile in Babylon. But amazingly, the Babylonians do not kill him. He's 18 years old when he became king. He ruled three months. They took this 18-year-old into exile in Babylon. They should have killed him like they did all the others, but they let him live in the palace, and he married, and he had children, and God's line continued. And the next list are not kings. Because there is no more king in this line. But they still have that royal promise running through their veins. They're continuing the royal line. And so verse 12, after the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah, Sheltiel, Zerubbabel, Abahud, Elikiam, Azor, Zadok, Akim. Verse 15, Elihud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Mathan, Mathan, the father of Jacob. Verse 16, and Jacob, the father of Joseph. And then you would expect it to say... And Joseph, the father of Jesus. But it doesn't. Why doesn't it? Matthew changes his pattern here in verse 16. Why? And instead says, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus who is called the Messiah. Why does he change there? Because Jesus was not the biological descendant of Joseph or of all of these other kings. He was the legal descendant, he was the heir to the throne, but Mary conceived as a virgin. And so Jesus is not only the son of David, the son of Abraham, but he's the divine son of God. And so Matthew wants to make that very clear and be very careful in his language in verse 16. And so he says, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus who is called the Christ or the Messiah. In verse 17, Matthew summarizes his genealogy, and he says there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Now, why does he make that organization? Here's a mystery. You like a mystery detective thing? Well, you're going to like this verse. One that I can't entirely solve for you. Why does Matthew say 14, 14, 14 generations? It would help to memorize it. They didn't write, sure, but why does he say that? Well, you say, well, that's the way it it was. But if you'll compare the genealogy that we just went through with Old Testament prophets, you'll see that Matthew omits... At least three kings before Uzziah, one king before Jeconiah, he's omitting some. This is the generations, but it's not all the kings there. Why does he omit them to come up with this 14, 14, 14? Well, if you read a commentary, here's the answer they'll show. I've got a slide for you. In Hebrew, each letter has a corresponding number, and so, and there are no vowels in Hebrew. So on the top line is the name David. This is how you'd see the name David. And so the numbers of the name of David, those three consonants, 4 plus 6 plus 4, equals 14. So what many Bible scholars, the prevailing idea is that, that Matthew's trying to hammer to us in this memory device, this is the son of David, 14, 14, 14. Here's my problem with that theory in our mystery. 14, 14, 14 is 42. There aren't 42 names in this list. You count them at your leisure or you trust me, but there are not 42. If you count Jesus, there's 41. If you don't count Jesus, there's 40. If he's going to all this trouble... To, make, to give us this device that we remember about the name of David, why does he come up with 42 when we, he's already left out four? He could have put two of those back in, had it exactly 42. Doesn't make sense to me. Here's what I think is the solution to the mystery. Don't know that I've read this anywhere else, so this could be wrong. I tell you about Jesus, there are 40 names. I think he's counting David twice and counting Jeconiah twice. From Abraham to David, from David to Jeconiah, from Jeconiah to Jesus. And when you do that, what he's saying is there are these three periods. And I think he's telling us the story of the gospel. These three periods, Abraham to David, is a time of promise. God's made promises. There's hope. But we've disobeyed, and David to Jeconiah is a time of failure. And the story of the Bible is after the promise of God comes the failure of humanity. We've messed things up. And we're in a bad shape. And we need a Savior. From Jeconiah to Jesus comes the time of renewed hope. It ends with Christmas to tell us that there is hope for our world, that this one who is the son of David, the son of Abraham, the Messiah, is the one who can bring hope to your life, that God keeps his promises in spite of your failure. That's good news at Christmas, isn't it? In spite of your failure, there's hope for you. In spite of Israel's failure, there is hope. Jesus still came. Jesus still loves you. Jesus still wants to deliver you. What's the most important question in the world? Well, later on in this gospel of Matthew, as he continues his theme, Jesus takes his disciples camping. They go to the mountains around Caesarea Philippi, field trip, camp out, retreat. And Jesus says, who are people saying that I am? And they give a bunch of answers. Well, some say you're one of the prophets back to life, or uh, some, they got a lot of ideas. And Jesus says... The most important question in all of life, for you, for them, who do you say I am? Most important question in your life is, who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? And Peter said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, you didn't figure that out on your own. Flesh and blood does not reveal that to you. My Father in heaven has given you that ability to make that declaration. And that's what Matthew wants you to hear. Genealogy of Jesus starts us out on the answer to the most important question that you'll ever think about in your life. Who is Jesus to you? Two weeks ago, Kanye West was on stage in a concert, sang two songs, Went into a 17-minute rant, went off stage, taken to UCLA Medical Center to the psychiatric ward, spent a week in the hospital. I watched on TMZ as his fellow rappers said, what, do you, what would you say to Kanye? And One of them, whom I didn't recognize because I don't know a lot of rappers, uh, said, uh, he needs to smoke some weed. That's what he needs. They went through others, and they got to Montel Jordan, who's also a pastor as well as an R.B. singer, and he said, he needs Jesus. He won't find the peace that he's looking for in anything else. What I found is peace in Jesus. The most important question in the world for Kanye West is, who is Jesus to you? This past week, been a week of tragedy, hasn't it? A week of storms. A week of unbelievable wildfires in the Gatlinburg area. Many of you have followed the, the saga of Michael Reed whose wife and two girls were missing and he didn't know where they were and then just a day or so ago found out that indeed they had died in the fire. But Michael Reed and his family, according to his pastor, a month ago at Parkway Church of God in Sevierville, Accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Listen. The most important question for Michael Reed is not how much stuff did you lose? How much you got in that cabin? What's your bank account? It all comes down today to the most important question for Michael Reed. Who do you say Jesus is? Praise God that within the last month, Michael Reed and Constance... And their two girls said, Jesus is Lord. He's the Christ. We put our faith in Him. And that makes all the difference. Most important question for Kanye and for Michael Reed and for you. Who do you say Jesus is? And the message of Christmas is, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of David. The son of Abraham. He's the king that the loving God has sent for you. And when you put your faith in him, you'll have abundant life. You'll have eternal life. Right now, would you do that? Who's Jesus to you? Today, if you would answer that question, I believe the evidence. These prophecies cannot be coincidental. I believe the evidence. I believe that Jesus is the Christ. if you will repent of your sin and put your faith in Him, then today you can have eternal life begin. And if you've already made that confession, this Christmas, would you let that fill you with joy? That no matter what you lose or matter what you don't have, that's the most important question you'll ever answer. Would you stand together with me? We're going to sing a song of uh, invitation. And I'm going to invite you to walk forward down